Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. Creative people and all their ups and downs is what I love to talk about. Um, this week my guest is a returning champion. He's appeared on the podcast before briefly, but I wanted to do a whole episode with just him because before it was a group. It's Danny Salas. He's the writer, director, and producer of the Trump Family Special, which is a musical comedy which was showing in L.A., and now it's in New York, and it uh, stars Gina Gershon as Melania Trump. So I wanted to connect with Danny and hear all about the New York transfer and also all about his other stuff going on in his career. He's worked on shows like Kathy Griffin, My Life on the D-List, Jonah Melissa, Joe Knows Best. Uh, he's directed episodes of the sitcom The Middle. He's got a lot going on, and he's really fun. So before we get to Danny, though, I want to give you an update about You Don't Know My Life, the party game I created with my friend Jeb Havens. Just this week, we got the proof back from the manufacturer in Singapore. And I expected it to be, I don't know, sheets of paper with, you know, uh, graph lines and stuff, and we were going to proof it or whatever. They actually sent us a game, a finished game, shrink-wrapped in a box, exactly what it would look like. Like, it was exactly what people are going to get if they pre-order the game. And I was giddy with excitement when I got it. I was so excited and proud. Um, it looks so good. If you want to see our unboxing video of that, you can go to the uh, Dennis Anyone Facebook page. I posted it there. Um, it's really cool. I did not expect that at all. So uh, the game will be here in time for Christmas. So if you want to take out a little insurance policy for having fun this holiday season and connecting with people... Because sometimes there's a lot of tension in the world right now. People don't always see eye to eye. But I think this game could bring people together in a way that is really um, fun and life-affirming and silly and irreverent. And um, you can learn all about that at youdon'tknowmylifegame.com. I'm so excited. Um, yeah. The shrink wrap, all of it. It was. I was so... The hilarious thing about the video, though, is I took off my glasses because uh, out of vanity... But then when I opened the box, I realized I couldn't see any of the materials that we're supposed to be looking at. So you could see me pull things really close to my face like Mr. Magoo. It's not a cute look, but whatevs. All right, check that out. Um, I guess that's it. Oh, I also want to promote um, LifeCast, my side business, where I interview people about their lives. Um, if you have a landmark event that you want to capture or maybe as a gift for your parents, uh, getting their story down for posterity in a really fun way that isn't stressful and that you can listen to anytime you want because it's right there on your phone. Um, check out getalifecast.com. All right, that's enough plugs. Uh, here without any further ado is Danny Salas. Hey there, I'm coming to you from my friend Danny's place in West Hollywood where my guest is another Danny, Danny Salas. He's the writer, director, producer, and lyricist of the Trump Family Special, which is currently showing on stage in New York City. Hi, Danny. Hi, how are you? Now, you've been on this podcast before as part of a group. Yes. Uh, with Tor Hyams, who I know, and Lisa. What's her last name? Uh, she's actually going by, uh, uh, let's see, Lisa St. Lou right St. Lou, I like yeah. it. She used to be Rothhauser. Yes, that's what um, I remember. Okay, yeah, who are part of the creative team of the Trump Family Special. You were doing yes. it here in L.A., and I fell in love with the show, and I also was really interested in the other parts of your career, and I was like, I want to have this guy back all on his own, without these other people, <laughs> without Michaela Gordon distracting me. Who How played, could she not? She played Melania in the original run, and I was th driving here thinking, I'm trying to think of a person in a musical who has given me more pleasure in the last 10 years, and I can't. 
She's my Audra McDonald. She's amazing. She's amazing. So, She's amazing. Okay, so we're going to talk about taking the show to New York. You've just been back and forth a bit. Mm-hmm. And how's it going there? It's been great. Uh, we're playing at the Triad. I decided... Uh, it's, the Triad is this crazy space that did Disaster and a bunch of smaller... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they did uh, Spamilton. Okay. Um, so they're sort of known for this kind of crazy thing. And right. And it's so funny because they're above a restaurant. It's almost like a speakeasy. There's no awning. People, right. I passed it six times and this was, you know, right. after I already decided to go there. And then you walk up these stairs and it's a full-on proscenium stage. It's almost like... It's very cool. Booths and tables and it's a two-drink minimum. Which I do they serve food? Uh, no food. Okay, which cool. is kind of good. You don't have the yeah, rattling of dishes. Exactly. And do you have you know fries? With you don't those? want chicken fingers right. with your Trump musical. Exactly. Or maybe you do. I don't no, know. No, you should be starving like the masses. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like the people. Right. Um, the last time we did the interview, we talked about the uh, beginnings of it. What made you want to write it? So uh, refresh our memory. Um, it was one of those things. It was a combination of two things. One is. So often, I work in TV, and right. it's so collaborative, and you also end up getting a lot of notes. Right. And it's a lot of rejection, and it's a lot of, you know, working around the things you love, yeah. but not necessarily exactly what you want. Right. And so I was at that sort of frustration point and thought, you know what? I just want to make it happen. Yeah, I want to do something that's all mine. Exactly. That I'm not going to get noted to death on. Exactly. Um, and Tor and Lisa felt the same way. And right. the other part of it is my head was going to explode. Right. Um, because there's so much anger out there. Yeah. Um, and you hear, oh, the anger on both sides. Hell with that. Right. <laughs> Trump has created a new brutal world that we live in where um, anything that anyone thinks can be said, sort of yeah. normal political talk is out the window. This notion that facts are fake makes any conversation very difficult. Right. Um, so I thought, okay, humor might be one opening into this. And I think, for instance, SNL does a great job with this. They crushed it with that opening. Oh, great. I mean, that Kavanaugh opening with Matt Damon. Perfect. It was kind of incredible. And it also really underlined how um, disingenuous he was. In the, like how, how many holes there were in, in what he was saying and stuff. Anyway. It was interesting because it was the I only... thought it was really well done. Well, what I loved about it so much, too, was that it took us out of the Me Too piece of it completely yeah. Yeah. and just talked about his character like, do we really want this guy as Supreme Court Justice? Right. Even if everything proves fine, the person who answers a question with a question right. is not exactly the person I want to be right. handling a case that affects my life for the next hundred years. Yeah, and I, I think if we put him on the court, we're telling America that it doesn't matter if you tell the truth when you're under oath. Right. If a Supreme Court justice did it, yeah, he didn't tell the truth. That you know, keg half empty, keg half full. Oh my full. god! Great I also line. love when Matt Damon sit down, sits down. He goes, "What?" <laughs> Those were the first words out of his mouth. It was so amazing. Anyway, um, we digress. Anyway, so I thought, okay, this is uh, a place I can put all of this stuff. Exactly, and I've been writing lyrics for a long time. Yeah, mostly for casual things, parties, whatever. And so I thought, you know what? This is a skill that I haven't done since college, and it just came pouring out of me. So I love when things come pouring out of people. I don't always believe it, but I love it when it happens. <laughs> well, um, you know what, though? It took a lot of years, and then suddenly the pouring. You yeah, exactly. I mean? It's, not, it's just not a sudden thing. No. Um, and I hate people who are like 22, like, oh, it just, you just you know, pour it out of me. It You're wrote like, itself. Yeah. I hate that, too. Um, the conceit of it is it's like an old variety show you would see on television. You've got some Partridge Family imagery as the tweets, which... Uh, Ticks a lot of boxes for me. Um, 
and a, and a lot of the characters of the family are there. Trump doesn't appear physically. Right. Well, he may appear. That's he may big, appear. That's the big Maybe. question mark. Yes. But actually, it was funny. When I wrote it, um, I don't find Trump funny anymore. Yeah. Even the Alec Baldwin thing yeah. starts to grate because I think we're the butt of the joke at this point. I think so, too. Um, in I fact, it was, it was funny. I was just talking mm-hmm. with a friend of mine who uh, about the set for the New York show because I yeah. really didn't have a set in the L.A. one. And I just wanted to have a very simple something. And at first, the designer came in with something that makes total sense. Red, white, and blue. His profile on either side. And I looked at the sketch, and I thought, oh, my God, it looks like a rally. And I thought, I can't sit through this. No. My, 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 my <laughs> Exactly. I, I cringed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had him sort of redo it in sort of the red to orange to yellow spectrum that we saw in the 70s. Right, the Partridge Family House. Exactly, because that that yeah. is what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and I I breathed a little bit. I, I put, think that's much more fun. Yeah, and I put stars on either yeah. side of the stage, but I filled them with things that were, you know, it was the Capitol Building and the yeah. Liberty Bell. But then I put the international sign for golfing. Yeah. <laughs> and a money bag. All stuff, a hamburger. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, different members of the Trump uh, family and sort of uh, immediate sort of circle appear and they each kind of have a, a moment where they shine. Which was the first song to, that you wrote? Which one? What was the moment where you're like, oh, this is my Ivanka moment? What, which ones came to you quickest? Uh, the two boys yeah. uh, sing a song where they're basically American by day, Russian by night. Right. Um, and I thought it'd be funny to do sort of a soft shoe, yeah. you know, cane kind of thing. Right. Um, and then to sort of go into, but at night, you know, um, we go from daddy's little boy to Putin's little bitch, and then yeah. they throw down all the stuff and put on Russian hats and, hey, hey, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was one that came really quickly. Right. Um, Ivanka originally had another song right. called Nothing Beats Luck. Right. Um, which was a little too light. And yeah. so I changed it to sort of a disco soul number called I've Got No Soul. Right. And so- which is so brilliant. <laughs> it's a soul song about someone with no soul. And Lisa sings the shit out of it. She's crazy. And I also love disco, so it's good. Yeah. I forgot the lyric. It's, um, you know, uh, something about um, that I make my my clothes are made in shithole countries and the child labors low overhead and the guys go, those kids can sew. You know, yeah, it's just yeah, so yeah, wrong. The backup boys. Yeah. yeah. It's true, though. Um, Melania sings a song called I'm Gorgeous. Look right. Gorgeous and Shut the Hell Up. You look Gorgeous and Shut the Hell Up. That was another one that came super fast. Yeah. Um, just because, here's the thing about Melania. I think that we on the left think of Melania as this lady in the tower. Right. You know, that she's trapped and she hates her husband and she slaps him away. And if she had her druthers, she'd be out of there in a second, but she's right. being held against her will. And I... After the whole speeches during the birther movement and all that yeah. stuff, I think that she's happy as a clam and decided to play her that way as a showgirl whose act is to shut the hell up. Right. Um, and it makes her much more fun, a little more evil. Um, I love the way Michaela played it with, like, just this contempt <laughs> for people. And also she's over it. Like, there's parts where the show's going on and she's like, are we still doing this? Like, she's... I just it tickles me so much, and you got a big coup. You got Gina Gershon doing it in New York. Yes. So the good news is Gina Gershon. The bad news is no Michaela. So how did that come about? Well, it was kind of sad uh, yeah. in a way because I wanted Michaela. I told everybody in the LA cast that the part was theirs. Right. That was the very first thing I said. I love you all, and my only problem is that when you're doing a small show, you can't afford to fly everybody out and put right. them up. Mm-hmm. So 
I said, if you have a way to, to get there, it's yours. And Michaela has a very successful career going on yeah, in she's Vegas. Yeah, she's working in Vegas. Yeah. And now she has a radio show in LA. Right. And so the timing didn't work for her. Right. And so I was beyond sad. I can't even You're like, how can I do the show without her? I was a wreck. Right. And then we... Because other things were opening up for New York. Like, this is going to happen. Yeah. It could happen. You know, there's a lot of possibility there. Yeah. So it was making me... Crazy. Crazy. So um, our casting agent said, look, you've got to just bite the bullet and put a notice out there. And when we did... Uh, there, my the casting agent got a lot of sort of knows from this one particular agent. This one's busy. That one's busy. What about Gina Gershon? She's been playing Melania on Fallon. She just might go for it. The casting agent said that. Yeah. Uh, no, her agent. Her said agent that said that to my casting agent. Wow. And so before we knew it, we were talking to Gina, who, you know, no one looks more like Melania in the world yeah. than Gina Gershon. So. I've That's interviewed her happened. a few times. I find her really fun. Yeah, she is fun. She gets it. What's, she, what's Smart. been your impression of her? She plays it completely differently than Michaela, which yeah. has been really refreshing. And I, at first she was like, are you sure you're fine with the way I'm playing? And she plays it much more real. Yeah. Um, Michaela is much more sort of showgirl and, you'll pardon the expression. She's very glamorous. Very glamorous. And Gina wanted to play her much more... Um, authentic right. from the from the look to the outfit, yeah, um, which worked really well, um, completely. So, uh, but she has a great sense of humor and has sort of worked the material in a different way, but also kind of has kept that "I hate you all." <laughs> the contempt. <laughs> Please tell me the contempt yeah. is there. That's oh, my favorite absolutely. part. Absolutely, she's so contemptuous. Yeah. Um, well, she is sort of the you know she's the fifth wheel. You know, she right. is that. Trump that's not a Trump. Right. Um, and you don't quite know if she's sometimes trolling her husband and doing, like, even this trip to Africa right now where she's going to shine a light on programs that her husband's trying to get rid of. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, she's a quiet, loose cannon. Yeah. And I think that notion of I really don't care uh, is a little bit who she is. But here's the thing oh, about... from the jacket. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing about Melania. She's gone from model, and I put that a little bit in quotes. Yeah. She dated Trump when he was married. Right. She went... She's now, I think, the only first lady who's not a natural-born citizen. Right. I thought you were going to say natural blonde. <laughs> natural blonde, yeah, no. Yeah. Um, not a natural brunette. Um, right. And without apology. You know what I mean? It would be very easy for somebody... Right, she's like not her, like, please... Please like me, please... Um, accept me. Accept me. No. She wore her powder blue dress. She's all set to go. Yeah. And there's a... She's going to wear stilettos if she wants. Yeah. There's a bravery in that that we... That you have to kind of admire on some level. She's her own It's person. not very American. No. It's She's where, done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The other part that's not very American is I don't think there's an expectation necessarily of fidelity. Yeah. I think that the embarrassment of it being found out... Yeah. And the payoffs and all that stuff, that's just ugly. The humiliation. But, yeah, but I don't think necessarily that she's pining away thinking yeah. that her husband doesn't have a dalliance or two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, she's, got, the, she's got the score. Yeah. Uh, how do you handle Jared? He is... <laughs> he's a puppet. Okay. In there. I support that. Yeah, I mean, Jared has literally gone away in real life. What happened to them? I think that what? his They're family... They're not in the news anymore. No, the family's under the... The spotlight, yeah. clearly. I mean, there's a lot of business dealings. Yeah. And I think he found that there's really no advantage. There's no upside yeah. to doing anything. No. And so literally, she looks over and she goes, 
oh, hey, Jared, I didn't see you there. And literally, he's a little Charlie McCarthy yeah. doll. And that gets a laugh. She goes, come to think of it, no one's seen you anywhere lately. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, how do you approach adapting it when new things happen? Do you kind of let it, you know what, this is what it is. Or maybe if something's big, I might throw in a joke. But is there this urgency of like, oh, my God, we got to figure out how to address this? Because you could drive yourself crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is that friends who like the show call me up constantly. Oh, my God, you've got to do a song about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the beauty of doing it with the family is they're a little bit blank slates. Yeah. And there's a little bit of room to kind of leave things evergreen. So, for instance, there's a song called If We Had It As Bad As You, which is just about them imagining what it would be like to be poor like normal Americans. Yeah, brilliant. Um, but, um, for instance, uh, this last show... I added in, there was a line in one of the songs, the women sing this homage to Donald and they sing, um, loving husband, loyal friend, and well-endowed lover. Right. And so Melania starts laughing afterwards. She goes, well-endowed lover. And so I added, my little mushroom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. You get a little... A reference to the uh, Stormy Daniels. Yes. The uh, way she referenced his member. Yeah. Um, and then some things I've taken out. Right. For instance, right after the Puerto Rican tragedy. Right. Uh, when he was throwing the paper towels. Right. That was hilarious. You know, in quotes, hilarious. Right. Um... And then it worked. It worked, and then it went away because right. I was like, then it became old news. And then we hit New York, and for some reason, it cycled back with him saying that only eighteen people died, right. and the liberal media saying it's a thousand. Yeah. And over that story, they kept showing the paper towel thing again. Yeah. So it's back in the show. It's back in the show. <laughs> um, what has it meant to you in terms of your original impetus to do something that's yours? So what has this journey been like, uh, just creatively for you? Has it been exciting and uh, giving you something to sort of get fired up about? It's been a thrill. Yeah, uh, it's, good. It's really been exciting. Um, to go from this one thing in my head to having it live in L.A. Yeah. and then taking it to New York and have it taken seriously has been really exciting and scary. Yeah. Uh, and I've learned so much about equity rules and publicity and all, you right. know, there's so much to it. I have a tremendous respect for everybody in theater because, you know, there's just so many parts to it. I mean, it's, right. just, it's just great. And, and I know that I've sort of jumped into the deep end right away, but it's been really, really satisfying for me creatively and personally. And, um, I can't say financially. <laughs> right. Welcome to my podcast. That's the theme of this podcast. But um, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Ultimately you no. go, you know. I it's did just, it. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I was a part of something, and uh, I brought a lot of people some joy. That's and for sure. politically, I feel like it's been a safe space for people to come yes. into the tent and laugh and talk afterward. Because I think we're all feeling so angry and frustrated that you almost, a lot of people say, oh, I can't even turn on the TV anymore. Yeah. I can't, you know, and they take it as being like, they brag about it. And yeah. you're like, well, that's really not the solution. Right, exactly, to check um, out. Although yeah. there are days when you're like, you know what, I'm not gonna, I can't. Right, it's soul hurting. Right? It's soul hurting. Um, and the songs are so good. They're so tuneful and wonderful. So okay. That's Tor and Lisa, they're just yeah. gifted. Yeah. Um, How'd you guys connect? We had worked together in reality TV, yeah. uh, Tor and I. He was a composer and supervisor for me on a few projects. And then we actually had worked on a sketch comedy show for MTV a good deal of years ago. Okay. And so we just kept Reconnected. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. Magic happened. So I want to talk to you about your reality TV career and your other, other creative things that you've done. You worked on shows. We have some crossover. 
Uh, you worked on Joan and Melissa. Yes. The We T- was it We TV yes. reality show. Joan uh-huh. knows best. Around the same time, I was working with uh, them on Fashion Police. Yes. It sort of overlapped a bit. Oh, definitely did. We would shoot her coming out of Fashion Police and sort of pick up her day, and uh, we were doing much more day in the life. I couldn't believe how indefatigable she was. I, I still can't believe it. Could you believe it? She'd already no. done a whole show by the time you got her. It was crazy. I mean, you know, mm. she would be in makeup at 5.30 a.m., yeah. She would have to be on set for Fashion Police, I think at 8 o'clock in yeah. the morning. She'd work till 11.30, have a quick lunch, usually talks with lawyers and all that stuff. And then I would get her at 1. Often she'd work till 7 with us, get on a red eye. By the time I woke up in L.A., she'd already be on her way from Manhattan to Pennsylvania to be on QVC. And I thought when I first started working with her that that was an unusual period yeah. of a few months. And then four years later, I'm like, oh, my God, this is actually her daily life. This is every day, yeah. all the time. And and she wouldn't have it any other way, though. No. That was her thing. How uh, – you were exec producer on that show? Yes. And were you there from the beginning? When did you come into the mix? I came in halfway through season one because they had some creative issues. Right. Um, so they brought me on to kind of look at the cuts. Yeah. And it was actually very funny because um, the network said, hey, we'd like you to watch four shows – and then Joan wants to hear your thoughts on them. Um, and then we'll go on. I said, you mean four hours of television she wants to watch? And they said, oh, you've never met Joan. She'll be fine with that. They said, but you don't have the job yet, so you won't be able to get paid. I'm like, four hours of Joan Rivers? Don't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, this one's on me. Right. And so I walked into the room, having done all my homework, and she was there. And I introduced myself. She goes, no. She goes, I'm calling you six. Because we've gone through six people so far. She said, if it works out, I'll learn your name. But for now, you're just number six. Wow. And I was like, this is no great. Pressure. I already have my cocktail party story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was in heaven. Check out, right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, it worked out. And she was great. You know? Why did it work out? What, what was it about you that made, made it work? Uh, a few things. One, we had a sort of shared sense of humor a little right. bit. Um, maybe being Jewish, New York, there's just something in right. the blood. Um, but also she realized that she could be herself and sometimes she would flare in frustration and it wouldn't, and I think a lot of people shrink from that, taking it personally. And I was always like, Joan, it doesn't matter. I know that you're here to get the best product and it's, it was always about the work. Right. It was never, where's my makeup girl? You know what I mean? There was none yeah. of that craziness. And I love people who are passionate. And once she figured that out about me that I don't care that right. I that I'm all about the work yeah. also we just connected on it now reality tv you know some people say it's not that real all this stuff what was the moment that you were with her and or melissa where you thought wow this is real this feels really real it was funny because you made a face. no the face wasn't the face was funny because it was like it wasn't like oh there's no realness it was like like it was hitting you in a way well, it was one of the weirdest mo- – there were two weird moments, right. but I'll just go into one. Yeah. Um, Joan was going in – It was we were starting the second season. Right. Um, and it was the first season that was mine. And she was going in for plastic surgery. Yeah. And so we set up a scene that was kind of fake, which was her talking with Melissa prior to the surgery. Not that they wouldn't have spoken, but they probably wouldn't necessarily have connected in the waiting room prior – just right. prior to the surgery. The other thing that was unusual was 
that I got Joan to agree to do it without a stitch of makeup. Yeah. And she was like, do you think people will watch this? And I said, yes. And she goes, let's go for it. And there was, at that point, a lot of trust between right. us. And so she opened up about her life to Melissa because she was, you know, and still in her late 70s. She said, if anything happens to me, I've had a good life. And she basically went on, told a speech, really, and, and had a really heart-to-heart conversation about being proud of Melissa and where they've come as a family and how lucky they've been. And then she, the episode happened. Um, and it was a, a beautiful scene. But I remember what, it because they played it a lot after she passed away. That was what was so weird was that yeah. when she passed away, Howard Stern played it in his entirety. And it was like she had really had that conversation in this fake reality setting. She was going in for surgery, by the way. Yeah. But that was not fake. But not in that strange final moment, but in some weird way she had already said what she wanted to say. Yeah. What struck me, even in Fashion Police, was that if there was a moment to play that was real, she's a great actor. She was a great... She could get real if she needed to. And you probably watched that happen again and again and again. Yeah. No yeah. She could pull tears. Yeah. Um, and they were always based in something real. There wasn't like, you know... She wasn't a table flipper. Or, uh, you know, it wasn't yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. There were family issues. I mean, she's she lived through a ton. Yeah. And so... Really, the funny thing about Joan, I think, is that she was very into Broadway and theater because... That was my favorite thing to talk to her about. Whenever she'd come back from Fashion Police, I'd be like, what did you see? Was it good? She was the one that told me about Sleep No More, and that's why I went and saw that show, where you follow everybody around the big house in New York. Oh, I've never seen... It was like an environmental thing. It was like, you know, they used to have that show Tamara here years and years ago, but you follow people around in this house. It's cool. She admired those people. For her, she had wanted to become an actress and did stand-up on the side. And then it became her career. Um, And so those people who had sort of commanded the stage were her real heroes. Yeah. And so that was always interesting. It was was her really humble side was when she was talking about theater and all those folks. She ever talked to you about Trump? A little. Yeah. Actually, the time that I really remember her talking about Trump was after the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Because the she... The one where they really went in on Trump and the... And he the, you. Yeah. The, the reason we're all yeah. trapped in hell. Yeah, yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. And no one could have foreseen that happening. Right. But she had come off her um, roast. Yeah. And she said, you know, he played it wrong. He said, what... She said, here's the thing you do in a roast. You toss your head back and laugh as if you think it's the funniest thing and take the piss out of it. And by sitting there and fuming, you're letting it know that every joke is getting to you. Right. And, of course, he was plotting revenge. Right. As we know. Right. But I remember her talking. She was literally in makeup, and I remember the full conversation because it, of course, it turned into a horror show later and probably a career for me. Exactly. (laughs) There you go. Another avenue. Um, All I remember of her... Is if we ever pitched a Trump joke at the table for Fashion Police, like somebody's wearing a yellow dress and that's like Trump's hair in the rain or what? I don't know. It was a no-go. Oh, wow. And I don't think it was because she, you know, loved him so much or whatever. I mean, she won The Apprentice. There was a relationship there. I think it was because she wouldn't, knew he wouldn't let it go. That that she knew that he was petty that way. That was what I, that's my takeaway. Is like, no, you don't even want to poke that lion. You'll never hear the end of it. It is not worth it. Next joke. 
Oh, interesting. She didn't come out and say that. Right. That's the feeling I got. Like, it's not worth the trouble. She knew he was thin-skinned. Yes. That's what I, that's what I picked up from him. I believe I that. I wonder what she would make of this whole era. I think she'd be very torn. Yeah. I, I honestly, she was a fiscal, you know, conservative or whatever. She, you know, that was always very important to her was the money part. So I think she'd be a little torn. Of course, every other issue, she was quite liberal. Yeah. And so I think it would have been tough for her. Right. I was actually thinking she probably would have been one of the few entertainers invited to perform at the inaugural. Yeah. And she probably would have debated the crap out of it. Right. Right. Because Apprentice gave her a huge comeback at a time when she needed, needed one. It. Yeah. That's so interesting. I wonder what Melissa makes of the Trump Trumpiness of it all. Because her Apprentice moment was kind of a crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Going, she had a foot in a thing and clumped out of there. Yeah, it was a whole thing. Yeah. I mean, the truth of it is, Joan had such a strong gay following and such a belief in people's right to be who they are that right. I think it, it would have overpowered everything else for her. I think she would have gone silent on the issue, just like with the Trump jokes. Yeah. Did you stay with the show until the final season? I was back and forth, but yeah. Where were you when you found out she passed away? Uh, like most Angelinos, I was on the 405. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it was terrible. If you can believe it, I had my 50th birthday. Right. The, the weekend of her memorial. So my family was all from New York, and they were all flying to see me. And so I out here. Out here, and I couldn't fly back for the memorial. Right. So it was really hard. Um, but I remember um, a mutual friend actually calling me because I was trying, before she actually passed away, I was trying to figure out when to go. And the reports, if you remember, were like, oh, she's, there was a moment that they were playing that she was getting better and yeah. she was seeing people. And I think, in fact, they were allowing people to say goodbye. Right. And so one of my friends said that, uh, and I I froze, and I, he, you know, he said she's not coming back. Um, so then that was it was hard, really hard. Yeah. yeah, she was murdered. Yeah, anybody who ever met her knew that she was going to outlive all of us. I know she would spring into him. You couldn't even be tired on the set ever. One yawn, you're like the seventy yeah. nine year old is no. You know, I remember when the I furniture when I first started at Fashion Police. If you know, Joan would have to do the voiceover for the opening in a totally different part of the building and have to walk, you know, to this whole other elevator and go all the way up. And I thought, how is this... At the beginning, I thought, how is this 79, 80-year-old woman going to do that? And then once I met I was like, oh, she's going to walk because she walks places like a person. But it, it just... I totally underestimated her um, stamina and, yeah. and, and uh, will. We you did a, a show with her in Vegas, an episode, and we were staying in one hotel and her Vegas act, if you know the um, Venetian, it's mm -hmm. gigantic. And so if you're staying at the Palladio, yeah. you're a mile away from where she was doing the stand-up. And so they would take her to the underbelly of the hotel because if she went through the hotel, you know, she yeah. would talk to everybody. And they'd say, do you want a cart? And she'd be like, no. And she would walk that whole distance. Oh, my God. I mean, it was... And then she'd go do two hours of stand-up, and then we'd shoot with her doing... Other, it was crazy. It yeah. really was. Uh, but she was like a shark. Yeah. She had to keep moving to keep breathing. Yeah, I think so. 
Uh, you also worked with Kathy Griffin, yes. My Life on the D-List, yes. another uh, credit we share. Although I was only part of it for the first season. And I was on the last. You were on the last. Yes. It's so funny because when it started out, I mean, my memory of it is that they kind of just followed her. It wasn't like, you know, a lot of um, preconceived plot points and we're going to do this and that. They just kind of followed her. Um, and then I think it evolved from there like a lot of, you know, that was at a certain time in the reality uh show world where there weren't a lot of these shows yet and i think they were finding their way well it was also yeah that's very true in the six years that our show took place yeah you went from reality tv which was basically following people and then making the show in the edit yeah to them sort of formulaizing it and they would only give you four days to shoot an episode right which four days to shoot an hour episode yeah not a lot of time. And right. they also wanted you to plot it out in advance, but if anything real happened, dump the outline, which yeah. is where I find the most joy, yeah. is, is dumping the outline and going, you know what? What's really happening here is much more interesting yeah. and you let yourself... And that's really what I'm hired for, is to be the guy that they trust to scrap what you had and go with the talent. So, Why are you good at that particular job? Working with with that kind of talent and those kind of docu-reality pop culture shows? I think a couple things. I'm not thrown very easily by right. moods. Uh, so talent, I can really work with. I've right. worked with Andrew Dice Clay and Diddy. and Yeah, you know. I look at the list and I'm like, wow. <laughs> it's like handful after handful. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a skill set. Yeah. I'm not sure if I love it about myself. but And then the other part is just I'm a storyteller. And, right. and I love that part of it. And being able to sort of see the way it's going to happen in the edit right. is, that is the skill. Is going, okay, this is an interesting conversation, but it's about television. Yeah. And we won't be able to use any of it in the edit because we won't get it cleared. So you have to go, okay, redirect, do something else. Yeah. So. Now you also direct episodes of The Middle, mm -hmm. the sitcom, and you've written like a narrative, like an animated show and a, and a feature film. How has reality, uh, that career, and, and your more sort of scripted, narrative, sitcom, movies, career, um, worked, worked with or against each other? Because I know sometimes there's a stigma of like, oh, he's a reality guy. Have you come up against that? Yeah. I don't know whether I've come up against the stigma part of it. Right. But it's two separate groups of agents. Um, right. You, as much as you think they talk, they don't. Right. Um, the scripted people don't see any value really in the fact that you're able to handle multicam. I mean, I've been with six cameras yeah. handling Joe Schmo, which was entirely improv comedy, uh, semi-scripted yeah. uh, with actors, uh, you know, and I'll go to uh, a meeting and they go, well, do you do, you do multicam? You know, for scripted. Right. Meaning and, like a four cameras sitcom, like an Everybody Loves Raymond or something. Right. Can you handle that? Yeah. In my, in my sleep, but right. it's a very, it, it's a different world. Right. And so it's not, no one means to be dismissive, dismissive, but ultimately it's just a different space. And I'm a little bit of a jack of all trades. Um, so <laughs> I think if I had just stayed always with one thing, but I, that's not the way my but brain But you have works. to find your way and you also have to work and sometimes... Yeah, you have to go where the opportunities are. I was um, so lucky to work with the middle, though. What a talented group of actors! And yeah, great crew, wonderful scripts. I mean, Patty Heaton, yeah, like her? liked her a lot. Yeah, yeah. What a pro! Yeah. Um, I know politically people have, yeah. you know, sure. My, my friend of mine works with her 
um, behind the scenes and loves her. Yeah. So. And it never comes up on set. Yeah. Um, the truth is, and that's part of what I, one of the things that I think is important about the dialogue right now is you don't, you shouldn't have to take on the entire agenda yeah. to be a Democrat. I mean, there should be a place for someone who's pro-life or right. quote-unquote Christian. Or we sometimes reject our own if they haven't chosen every part of it. Yeah. And I think Democrats of old used to take, you know, they were the party of the unions. Right. And all of those people were church-going, middle American, working Americans. Yeah. And somehow now we're and patriotic and now somehow the democrats have lost the american flag somehow in all the craziness it's been claimed so anyway uh, she was delightful and also that was single a, cam right single cam yeah. such a pro because the, the scripts are so beautifully written yeah on that and if you say doesn't instead of don't um it throws the rhythm and so yeah. if it had to be redone she did it and so everybody else falls in line she on that show, she sets the tone, and she's also just lovely to everybody. I mean, I I sound like a giant fan because that's I all right. No, you should be. Now, Joe Schmo is a reality show that they did a number of years ago about one or two people that are on a show that they think is a competition show. They don't know it's fake. Yes, I am nervous reading the synopsis. I can't imagine being in charge and knowing not only that you have to get good content all this, you have to keep this major secret. And if anything goes wrong, like the whole... Series is gone. The whole series is gone. We had, How did you manage that stress? We had one guy, you know, who was our mark. Yeah. Everybody else was actors. Um, a couple things. They came to me and said, okay, who do we let know about the secret on the crew and who don't we? And I said, everybody you hire, first of all, is you're not firing anybody. If you don't like them, you're keeping them on. Yeah, find another place for them. Yes. And everybody has to know. Because the first PA who sees somebody go in a different direction, like back to get direction backstage, quote unquote, and go, hey, where's, where's Clara going? Yeah. If the mark sees that question happen, you're done. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was... How long are you shooting? How long do you have to keep this up? We kept it up about two weeks. Okay. Which is shorter than it yeah. sort of plays on television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a lifetime when, you've when got... you're sitting in that trailer having a nervous breakdown. Oh my god! I Crazy. my uh, my friend Danny who lives in this house that we're recording in. He has the DVDs of Joe Schmo too. And every Thanksgiving or every anytime we go to Palm Springs with the boys and hang out in the house, we watch another few episodes. It's taken us a decade to get through it, but we always enjoy it very much. Um, but I can't imagine having to having to try to work on that show. It was did, how did it turn out? The first, do you, do I did, the, I did the first one. Did um, it turn out good? Oh, I loved it. I loved it. And I mean, what was the moment when the mark found out? What was that moment like? It was insane because he was like, "What?" I mean, he and 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 he as, signed the release. He's already he signed he's in no matter what. Here was the thing that we knew going in was that he was going to win the hundred thousand oh. dollars. So we knew that, of course. And every game is set up for either him to win or lose, but. We knew going in that that was going to be the outcome. Oh, yeah, so you don't feel so guilty now. Right. Oh, um, okay. The other thing, what I didn't like about second season, not that I... Yeah. I was working on another show. I was working my big, fat, obnoxious fiancé for Fox. Right. So I couldn't do the second season. Yeah. But the second season chose to be a relationship show. Yeah, it was The Bachelor. Which is a lot harder because suddenly you're asking your actresses to kiss 
and you're playing with someone's heart. The first one was really about much more of a, I don't know what show would be like a, it was everybody competing for a million, uh, whatever, a hundred thousand dollars. And I can't think of what the prototype was. Right. It was all about money and gaming and all that. Yeah. Stuff. Like so, challenges and yes. survivory kind of stuff. Exactly. Survivor. That was. Yeah. 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 Survivor in a house. Basically. Yeah. No. Cause yeah. Joshua, which we've been watching for a decade is like, <laughs> will you accept this pearl necklace? And they give him pearl necklace. It's so dumb. <laughs> so dumb. and so fun. I know. I know. The writers were amazing. You know, the guys who wrote and created that series did Deadpool. Yeah. You, oh, really? Yeah. Joe Schmo, both, both Joe Schmoes? Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. So they, they were terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Why, I, I get anxious thinking about that. Yeah. Um, what's the dream gig for you? Uh, eventually to write and direct a scripted TV show. Yeah. That would be the dream. Right. Um, show run? Show run. Uh, yes. Uh, in that I would want to be... In charge of the the scripting, not necessarily all the, the other staffing up crew and yeah, all yeah, that yeah. stuff. The other thing that, of course, now I'm dying to do is another yeah. musical. Yeah, you're into it. Yeah, I'm into it. And you got I, your flow. I just I love it. Yeah, I've got is the there mind. a cast recording of uh, the Trump Family Christmas? Or uh, what so is it? Trump, you have to do Trump Family Christmas. Oh, I know exactly. Yeah, except everybody gets a rock. Yeah, exactly. And it has a lot of mercury in it, yeah. which will poison you. Oh like, my god! Don't bring your gift to the kids, and no. they won't be able to drink. Um, <laughs> I know it's funny to do a Christmas special. Of course, I'm dying to do uh, the first annual Trump family special in prison. Same thing, except everybody in orange jumpsuits. Yeah, when which hopefully will It'll be based on the, the times. Yeah. I know, I know. Someday we'll look back on this era. It's going to be crazy. I hope. Someday we won't be in it. Yeah, I um, I just hope that we haven't. Here's the thing: a lot of the conservative politicians want their way in terms of policy. I think. Yeah. For him, he wants to dismantle the system. And that's what I find most frightening about him. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, it's weird how he, he's a life wrecker. He just, people's lives get wrecked. Like, Spicer, life wrecked. And probably deservedly. But, like, if you get anywhere near him, life wrecked. I had something happen recently. There's a project that I'm involved in, an ongoing project. And I had somebody email me recently be, wanting... Because somebody else involved in the project tweeted something that they disagreed with and they thought was inappropriate. Now I don't want to be involved anymore. And suddenly, like, me and this little project that I'm doing is I'm, – I'm reckoning with this thing, right? So there's just – the ramifications are quite great. Okay. Yeah. Well, people are really quick to anger. Yeah. Really quick. Yeah. Um. And one of the things that the person said in the email was – they're they're not like us. This person, this other person, is not like us, or you know, they come from a different school of thought than us. But there was very much that they're not one of us, which I thought was um, interesting. Um, and so. it's also limiting because, as a liberal, which I consider myself, the the notion of sort of exclusion is a very odd one. Yeah, you know what I mean. You want to because we the weird thing about this president is he really doesn't even pretend to represent us all. No. At all. I mean, he's like, it's us and them. Yeah. It's the For first president sure. I can think of. And I'm not coming down on this person. I understand where they're coming from. But the the theme that we're seeing played out writ large all over everywhere was dynamically the same thing that was happening in this little exchange around this little project that I have. It's so crazy. Yeah. Okay, you picked some questions from the observation deck. Okay. What's your most memorable Halloween costume? I built a, a station wagon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love any. 
I love any sentence that starts with "I built a station wagon." A friend of mine, yeah, my friend is one of those guys who can like create stuff out of nothing. Yeah, so we created uh, Mitt Romney's station wagon. I don't know if you remember the story, but it was all about the dog the, on the, the roof. dog on the roof. Yeah. So I was in the under the inner belly of this was me dressed as Romney in a wheelchair, and my friend was pushing the wheelchair forward. Right. But he was in a dog suit, and it looked like we built a car around us with working headlights yeah. and. As if he was the puppy on top of the car. Oh, my gosh. And then I was inside. And, of course, Halloween is three days before the elections. Yeah. So I was giving political stuff out the window. Um, and people were, you know, first of all, it was great because the, the parade is so crowded. So I was were literally... Were you doing Santa Monica Boulevard? Oh, yeah. yeah. Doing, driving Did people get through. it right away? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. we had pictures on the side of all the family. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you know, Romney on the license plate. Please tell me you have a picture of it that I can post with this podcast. Oh, definitely. Okay, I, definitely I want to see do. that. That's amazing. So that was really fun. I love that. So I guess this political thing goes back a while. Yeah, it does go back a while. All right. What photo of yourself do you hope no one ever sees again, ever, ever, ever? Okay, You're this being is... You're very that, vulnerable now. You're making it, yourself very vulnerable. Well, I think I don't remember the first photo, but I do a whole series of photos now. Yeah, where I'm the only person having fun, and I make everybody else who's with me pretend to have the worst time in the world, and yeah. I'll post because I always think Facebook is always, you know, curated with my best friends in the whole world. Yeah. So I always living, everyone's living their best fucking life, right? So I always have a living my best life dream uh, face. And everybody else looks <laughs> bored and angry. Yeah. And so every time I'm always like, with my besties. And yeah. I, just, I just look pathetic in right. every single shot. And I'm sure it, um, I forget the shot was originally that was actually real. Yeah. But then I decided to just go with it. You decided, okay, this is going to be my thing. It's yeah. like performance art. Right. Uh, where's the strangest place you've ever been recognized? Did you pick that one? Did I pick that one? I don't... That was in there. Oh, my goodness. Um, oh, I was... That's so weird. It was after the first airing of Joe Schmo. Right. And I was on camera as the director because every morning he would, the Mark would be in interviews. Right. Um, and the rest of the cast would sneak out for a meeting with me. And so they would tape it. And so I was at some diner the next day and this woman recognized me from television. And I, it really threw me because I, you know, you forget that you're actually, your face is out there at all. Yeah. So I guess that would be the only bizarre thing that, that is crazy though because you think i'm behind wait i'm behind the scenes oh wait no i'm not i'm on tv yeah it's crazy the, t the power of television is um crazy uh tell people how they can learn more about what you do and the trump family special if they happen to be in new york uh we're at trumpfamilyspecial.com okay and there is the bios of myself and the cast and all the technical inf ticket information oh we never answered the soundtrack question is that oh. will we ever be able to download those tunes yes uh, we're gonna we're gonna I'm do so it i'm so excited i think tor and i want to get a little three-piece going because he just Damn plays right. piano and yeah. get our cast to record it because yeah why not i think it's everyone so will enjoy it you should and so the Trump Family Special, and then do you do any personal social media? We, stuff like uh, yeah, we're on all the, the formats. I think it's always Trump Family Special, whether yeah. it's Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and we're actually going to start putting out little pieces of the songs so people can kind of get a little taste of it. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so is that going to be on social media as well? Yes. Fantastic. Yeah, we're going to start um, to blitz that stuff. Final question. Yes. See if anything comes to mind. Is there a memory you have that when you were a kid that indicated where your adulthood would go in terms of your career? Were you doing, like, shows around the basement and... I don't know. I had a game once where there was a game out called Pro Draft, which was about putting together a football team. And oh. it was like, you know, and, and so you would... 
it was kind of like fantasy football before fantasy football. And then I made my own version called Network, where you were basically putting together your schedule of TV shows and stuff. Like, that was... And so it's very... For, like, a 12-year-old in Arizona to be, be doing, like, I don't know, Friday night, your 8 o'clock's pretty weak. It's weird. <laughs> anyway, do you have anything, something like that that's like, oh, I knew where I was headed? Well, I, I definitely did. I, mean, I was definitely yeah. doing shows all the time. My right. sister and I watched Sonny and Cher, and uh, we'd vie over who was put the towel on their head to sort of blow it back and forth. She had and, the best part. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and even though my... My sister should have been Cher. She was shorter, so I would play right. that against her. Yeah. Um, then I remember in junior high, I tried out for a show at school, and Mr. Schwartz, may he, whatever. Rot in hell. hell. Rot, rot, <laughs> I didn't know what you were going to say. Rest in peace and rot in hell. Yeah. Rot in hell. <laughs> Basically said, well, you were terrific, but you're too short. Okay. Um, and so we're going to put you in the chorus. And I, I was like... It was middle school. Like yeah. like any of us were going to pass as full-grown yeah. adults anyway. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get back at him by doing this for a living. So so this is all, it's it's all, all about Mr. Schwartz. Yes. It's, Do you it, thank him in your bio in the program? I should. I should. That's really you, – you held on to that the way Trump held on to that White House Correspondents' Dinner. Yes. This whole, my moment. whole life has been a revenge hit. On Mr. Schwartz. <laughs> And it's going pretty well. I guess so, yeah. yeah. Do you ever hear from him later or anything? Did he ever occur? No. no. I, in fact, I tried to find him, but yeah. trying to find a Mr. Schwartz in Scarsdale, New York, yeah. is like trying to find a grain of sand in Right. Beach. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, this one's for you, Mr. Schwartz. You changed somebody's life. All right. It's so fun talking to you, Danny. You too. You're okay. the best. Bye. All right. Thanks again to Danny Salas for doing the podcast. Um, after we left and we took our picture and everything, I... I was like, I want to work with him. I want to work with him. He's really smart and fun. Anyway, okay, so this happened. Uh, I go to this CrossFit gym uh, that I found on Groupon about a year ago, but it's been good for me. I like it. Um, And they started doing this uh, Whole30 diet program. Like, it's 30 days. They sort of encourage people at the gym to join, and you pay a little to be a part of it, and you're part of a Facebook group. Basically, it's like this Whole30 diet, which is eating really clean uh, chicken, lots of meat, lots of vegetables, no sugars, no like rice. Like there's a lot of stuff you can't have. Anyway, I'm day nine into this adventure and I no longer want to eat my own hand. I had some days in there that were really weird. It wasn't that I was that hungry because you eat a lot. It's not like you're limited to what, to how much you can eat, but I think I realized that um, potatoes are on the diet, and I realized that if I don't eat potatoes, um, those kind of complex carbs, I my brain goes foggy, and I was kind of messing up with some of the tasks that I was doing in my life. I was not very um, functional. So I don't know if I'll make it the whole 30 days, but uh, like a couple of days ago, I was like, this is not going well. This is not going to work well. But I've upped my potatoes. Now I'm feeling a little better. So we'll see. I'm on this journey. We're on this journey together. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. All right, that's all I have for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye.